Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Voodoo Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse. It's Us, and monthly co-host Cap Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser, and you can reach her at tarotbyginger.com. So if you're looking for some insight into your life or the hidden forces that are behind certain situations, go to tarotbyginger.com and you can find your answers there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Dr. Gandhi. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for having me. Love and abundance, everyone. You too, man. So, um, and you got a lot going on. Um, you have a podcast. You have coaching. You have all kinds of things. Um, so, tell me about like uh, you know your podcast, Love and Abundance, and, and about what you're just trying to put out into the world. Yeah, I uh, I think the main message is love and abundance. You know, just sharing that uh, I created a store, a conscious store that has uh, uh, products that are you know, elevate, upgrade uh, ourselves, like sage and incense, and uh, some cleanses and uh, some like mental uh, you know affirmations uh, and. Uh, uh, recipe books and recipe guides and mm-hmm. all kinds of things. So essentially anything to, you know, help someone live a better life for themselves. You know, I lived this life where I was in that traditional career path, uh, traditional path in life where I'm going to go through school, high school, college, advanced degree, uh, find a job, get settled in life, quote, unquote, and then you know, get married and have kids. And that was my traditional path, living the American dream. Uh, and I got all the way through, uh, you know, graduated with a PhD and uh, uh, then got into uh, the workforce, working for a consulting company. And when I was there, I realized after a couple of years that this is not what I want to do, that there's something else out there for me, something greater. And I had this feeling in in my stomach region that came up. So I was working for about a year and a half in this job. And uh, one day I wake up and there's all of a sudden I feel this pain in my stomach and it started off very subtle. And then eventually by a month or a couple months into it, it was like really strong. So I felt like there was some kind of message there for me. And all along I've had these questions of, uh, you know, is this my purpose? or what is my purpose? And, you know, what is that thing that I want to give this world? I knew it, this wasn't it. Uh, so I was kind of very unhappy with that. And um, along with that, I was going through a, uh, you know, internal, going through a lot of internal turmoil uh, because this, uh, right when I graduated uh, my PhD, the last few months, I'd also gotten through a breakup. Mm-hmm. And through this breakup, you know, there was a lot of pain and suffering in the aftermath. And that took me about a year, couple of years to finally get over it. So that couple of years was a lot of alcohol, a lot of just, uh, you know, trying to kill myself in different ways and distract myself away from this pain and suffering. Uh, so going through all of that, I wanted to, you know, I, I realized that my purpose is helping people. Uh, and so I've, I have some of these conscious products. And then I realized I'm also, uh, while building all of these different businesses, I've also gotten good at uh, technology and websites and things like that. So now I want to help, I'm helping uh, heart-based entrepreneurs in that space as well. Hmm. Well, I certainly could use some help on my website, that's for sure. <laughs> sure, let's connect, yeah. Uh, you know, we're uh, 
it's website technology, uh, any marketing technology, any any technology that your business uses. Because I've realized that there are great healers out there, there are great speakers out there, they're you know, they're amazing at what they do. But one of the things that they don't really care about, they don't want to do it themselves. They're you know they'd rather give it off to someone else. Uh, is their technology? You know that's they don't want to learn how to make a website or how to update websites mm-hmm. or uh, you know how to send out a newsletter. Well, you create the content and we'll send it out for you. Um, you know, we have virtual assistants too. So if you have any kind of research, any kind of data that you want to collect or parse through or whatever it may be that you need some, uh, you need to buy some hours for, for somebody, from somebody, well, we can handle all those tasks for you as well. Um, so it's kind of a functional team and uh, they can achieve a lot. Uh, we can achieve a lot. Yeah. I mean, as a content creator myself, I enjoy the part of making the content but the rest of it I don't enjoy, and especially for people like me, you know, I'm a one-man operation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, I can, I can, yeah. That's how my podcast is, too. I've kind of, uh, I started it, uh, you know, as a one-man operation, and I've just added a team that uh, does some of the work for me and some of the editing and things like that. That's um, good. Some of the basic editing, it's not, they're not sound experts by any means, mm-hmm. but they can cut and chop and, you know, do those things that I, that I need them to do. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. And the podcast is, uh, you know, again, kind of going back to my story of living that traditional path, like, hey, mm-hmm. I have to have this kind of st- steady job. Uh, and my, you know, South Asians, we're uh, people from the Indian subcontinent, we're known to have a certain kinds of jobs, like the lawyer and, the, uh, you know, taxes and uh, doctors and engineers. So I kind of wanted to shed the light on other careers that are also out there, uh, non-traditional career paths like politicians or actors or podcast hosts or whatever it may be. Uh, but someone who's not engaged in that typical career and I wanted to kind of understand what their story is. How did they go about getting into this career? What What is their principles and values? And you kind of get to know more about them. And that's, that's kind of what the focus is about for this podcast. Your story is very familiar. I've heard the story, you know, and it's my own story as well, being discontent, working in a corporate world, you know, even though it was something I, I went to school for and thought I would like and get out there and do it. I was like, oh, my God, I, I can't, I can't believe this. I, I, I do, you go through all of this school and you go out there and, and, like, to me, the feeling was like, I am still just nothing but a slave, you know. There has to be more than this. And, um, and then in the search, you find these alternative things, you know, and, and the pain too, like the breakup. That's always something too that seems to bring people around to looking for something more spiritual, something more fulfilling. It, it seems to be coming more and more common. Um, like how, like I'm, I'm imagine like that you hear your story, the same thing that you've gone through from from a lot of other people. Yeah, no, a lot of people can relate to the story because, you know, it's uh, everyone goes through it. We all have a career that we don't like uh, or have had it at some point in our lives, but we choose to continue going into this job or, you know, instead of uh, leaving the whole career behind, we'll take the next step or just, hey, let me find another job uh, in within the same field, within the same career, maybe just a different company. Uh, and they'll do, do that for two years and then they move on to another one and another one and another one. And you'll see that pattern over 10 years not realizing that, hey, they're actually wanting to do something else and they're really great at it. They already know that they're great at it. And actually a friend comes to mind with, in this situation. He's, he has like double the career because he has all these student loans to pay off. So he really has to have a steady job, but he's not really interested in that job. He's done that for such a long time and switched multiple different companies over a couple of years, every couple of years. And, but on the back end, his second career is he's in, uh, you know, he, he's really great at uh, uh, like the tech, uh, using AI to help uh, businesses collect data. And, you know, like, for example, he created this algorithm where food trucks can find better spots to set up at mm-hmm. and different food trucks can then contract with him and find these spots to set up in and they'll, you know, make the most bang for their, for their time. And uh, so he created this whole algorithm and he's really passionate about that, but he still has to work because he has all these different financial obligations. So I feel like a lot of people are stuck in that situation as well, coming out of college, having huge financial debt. And that's where I lucked out. All the way through, uh, 
you know, my master's, my PhD was actually completely paid for tuition. Everything was completely paid for. And I actually got a monthly stipend on top of that to, uh, for my personal expenses. And so uh, while I came out from my PhD, after almost 10 years of college, I had zero debt. And I had this flexibility that, okay, after two years, I saved up enough that I could just venture out on my own for a year or two years and still survive without needing uh, mm-hmm. you know, support. Uh, so that's that, and I was very fortunate because I felt like that was another kind of uh, sign for me not to be in that comfortable career, but actually go out there and put myself out there and uh, you know share my talents and share my gifts uh, with the people. Uh, so that's where I'm at right now. I'm in that moment, in that field, in that uh, direction of sharing my gifts in different ways. So, would you be able to like say? I'll just use myself as an example. Would you be able to help me get out of the rat race and to do what I love, which is podcasting? Uh, I can certainly do that. Yes, I would be able to. Uh, I have experience myself. I've uh, helped several other uh, you know, my partners for these businesses uh, kind of do the same for themselves. Um, so, yeah, I would be able to do that. What are some of the first steps to doing that? Like, How does one... A, a person even like you know like I'm always soon to be trapped in a job and trapped with debt how, how does a person escape that and start moving into a direction of independence so I think the debt is the first thing uh, right there is a financial obli- obligation so finding ways to come out of that debt now uh, before you completely switch into the next career into the next uh, move that you want to make uh, because when, you, when you're ma- moving in that direction, you want to not have all these financial obligations where you're pressurized to make money right from day one, because it's not going to happen, right? But along the while you're working and while you're paying off the debt, you could start building that little stream of income so that when you're ready to, when your debt is paid off and you're ready to move on from that career, you already have something built up. You have this momentum built up in that one particular direction, and then you can carry that forward full time uh when you're you know past that job but it's first looking at the financial obligations that you have in your life and handling that right now Mm -hmm. whatever that means saving cutting realizing that eventual goal is i don't want to be in this job anymore i don't want to be a slave anymore so you you may have to make a lot of sacrifices right now but eventually knowing that okay i'm not going to be in this situation i'm seeing myself in that situation before even any, a person does any of this, is there any type of mental and spiritual preparation that needs to be done, like an intention, um, a commitment, something like that? Yeah, you know, um, that's a great question because I've been working on something called the What's Your Story, uh, and it's an idea. Uh, this is the podcast name is the same, What's Your Story? And essentially the idea is that at every moment of our lives, we're telling a story. Right? Whenever we try to make sense of a situation, whenever we try to make sense of a person and what they're saying to us, we are connecting the dots based on the data that's inside of us, based on all of our past experiences, based on our memories, based on the meaning we make out of those memories. So at every moment, whenever that voice in our head is churning and creating some kind of story about the situation that we're in, well, we have power over how that story plays out, meaning we can change the story. We, we see it from one perspective because of the data that we collect, but someone else looking at that same set of situations would completely come up with a different story because they have a different set of data, right? And the analogy here is, uh, and there's kind of a mechanism behind this. On a daily basis, we're doing this. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, like where uh, the analogy is that we're sitting in a theater, we're watching a movie on the screen and the screen is a tool that helps us watch the movie. There's a projector in the back that's sending images onto the screen. The projector is another tool and there's a film inside that projector that's actually con- contains the content of that film. That's the essence of the film. So it's the same process every day. There's a projector called the third eye chakra. And this third eye is your imagination, everything imaginable. It is creating stories. It is not, sorry, it's not creating stories. It's projecting these stories 
that are coming in from the film. The film is inside of us, all of those memories, all of those experiences, all of those uh, positive, negative, everything combined. That's part of your film. And your pr projector is collecting data, is taking data from that film and shooting it out onto the different screens in our life. The screens are the people, the places, the situations, everything that you go through on a daily basis. Those are the different screens in your life. So it's your third eye projecting these images, collecting that's taking data from this film that's inside of you. So this course will help you understand what's in that film will help you understand what's in your film specifically, right? So it's, I've created something called uh, the My Life Film. And essentially, this is your life film. You're literally sitting down and understanding in various aspects of your life from ages 0 to 10, 11 to 19, and on, on and on. What are the different experiences that you have been through, both positive and negative? Let's document that first. And then understand how did those experiences affect you, what beliefs were created, what attitudes were, uh, were there around that experience, um, and then diving deeper. Finally, what kind of programming, what kind of belief system do you hold that led you to that particular experience? Just kind of understanding and diving deeper into yourself. You know, in my life, I started introspection when I was 30-ish. So 30 years of my life, I was just living life without... Uh, understanding the essence of what I was doing with my life without understanding who I am. I didn't have this opportunity to introspect because I was just running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, external achievements, not really slowing down, right? not really giving myself that space to sit down and just analyze or, you know, look back and see, okay, what are the different things that happened and how could I improve upon it? So finally, at age 30, I, was, I gave myself this opportunity when I started meditating. And this course kind of came about from that intense meditation, diving deeper, understanding, storytelling, understanding these different aspects of life. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, meditation is a, is a great way. It, it's amazing how much you can accomplish by doing nothing. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. I think every creative needs that space to do nothing. Because that's the, that's the blank piece of paper. You can't create yeah. your your work without having that blank piece of paper first. And yeah, and that meditation is what I use to get to that blank piece of paper. Yeah, yeah it's sure. a, it's a definite necessity, you know. And, and it's so hard to learn that. It's it's very um, for me. I know it's been challenging because. We're trained to just work, 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 and grind, grind. The harder you grind, the more you're going to accomplish, we're told. But yeah. sometimes it's, it's better to sit back, wipe everything clean, and then create something fresh. You know, you're talking about meditation. So I just, I think last night, got this link. Uh, Harvard University did a study, a research study, uh, specifically for a particular kind of yoga retreat um, that Sadhguru, I don't know if you've heard of Sadhguru. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's this uh, spiritual guru out of India and he's, he has uh, centers in, in America as well in Tennessee. And he does, he holds these yoga retreats at his centers. So he has some in India, he has some here and all over Europe as well. Uh, and there was a study done, a research study done. And essentially the conclusion was this. I'm just going to read the whole conclusion in just a couple of lines. It says, a short meditation experience improved focus, happiness, and positive well-being and reduced depression and anxiety in participants for at least one month. Participants had increased blood levels suggesting a role for these biomarkers in the underlying mechanism of meditation. Meditation is a simple, organic, and effective way to improve well-being and reduce depression and anxiety. That was the conclusion from this study. I completely agree. That was yeah. the conclusion of it. Yeah, it's so powerful. Very good. Um, when when you've went through these changes, um, was was it difficult for you to go through to make the transition from your job to what you're doing now, and while coping with the um, the pain of the breakup? Like, how how did that go for you? Like, did you have moments of struggle? And when you, well, I'm sure you did actually. That's kind of like a dumb question. You always were struggling, but 
how did you turn that around? Like, how did you take that that struggle and turn it around and, and to use it to create what you've created? Because, um, like, a lot of times, like, it's just easy to get stuck in a cycle of depression and never get out of it. Yeah. It's meditation. Uh, that's that's yeah. the, the answer. Is like giving myself that space uh, to be able to really... Uh, so initially, when I first started meditating, uh, I'll kind of go back in the timeline as well. Um, so I had this breakup. I moved to Boise, Idaho for my job. That's where the job was. I'd never really heard of Boise, Idaho until I got this interview and I went flew out there. It's beautiful. Must visit if you haven't been out there. And uh, so I got this job then. It was This was my only interview, and that was the only job offer I had, and I took it. So that kind of represented, you know, my whole life had been in Atlanta. All the memories and everything uh, from that relationship was in Atlanta. Now I'm moving across country. This kind of represented that move into the darkness, like going into that cave, you know, really uh, giving myself that space finally. But I didn't. I had all this pain and suffering. I couldn't handle it. So the first... I'd say almost 15 to 18 months, I did everything to uh, distract myself. It was that, that's, you know, there's a lot of hiking, a lot of nature things out there. So I was going out there in nature, positive things, but also negative things like alcohol and, uh, you know, partying and eating late night, shitty food, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after about a year and a half, I was like, okay, I'm killing myself with all, doing all these things, all these habits. Uh, and that's when I picked up this book called The Book of Secrets by Deepak Chopra. And in this book, he, uh, I mean, a lot of it is, it's very high level spiritual book. At that time, I was just diving into it, just, uh, you know, putting my foot into the water. Uh, so 95% of this book, I didn't understand it. It was just went over my head. But the little bit that I picked up was this word meditation. Mm-hmm. And so now I was leaving this, leaving my job behind moving back to Atlanta. And when I moved to Atlanta, I created a meditation habit. I incorporated that into my system, into my rituals. And what I would do is, um, uh, so first, I initially I started uh, journaling as well for the first month I bought or so I journaled. And essentially I journaled, how was my, uh, my what, what were my thoughts and my feelings going into the meditation, so pre-meditation, and then during the meditation, what thoughts came up, what, what feelings were there, anything that I observed. And then after meditation, how do I feel? How long did I sit for? So collecting certain data that uh, I could kind of uh, track and uh, keep myself accountable. Additionally, I said, I'm only going to sit for five minutes. I think that's very important because people think, oh, I need to sit for 30 minutes, 45 minutes at the very beginning. And I said, you know what? That's way too hard for me. I'm just going to start off very small. I'm a big proponent of baby steps. So I started, the first step was five minutes. Certain days I'd sit down and, uh, you know, I'll be there, close my eyes, and I'll just be sitting there for a while. And then this question will pop up in my mind, how long has it been? And I'll look at the phone, it's only been 20 seconds. And so I always had this question, like, has it been five minutes yet? Has it been five minutes yet? And so finally what I did is I took my phone, I put a five-minute timer on it, and set it aside. And so now I was fully able to concentrate. What it is, did is I sat in the corner. So I would look, face the corner so that everything behind me and I'm just blocking off everything. Uh, and this way I was able to finally get to five minutes after three, four months of meditation. Uh, and I mean, I'll tell you, meditation was the thing that helped me really dive deeper into myself, understand you know, how my thoughts are affecting me, how my emotions are affecting me how elements around me are affecting me, uh, you know, and I think there's a, there's a really huge role in that. There's a lot of influences from the external that we are not aware of. Mm. And once I started meditating and diving deeper into it, I really became aware of everything around me and how it plays a role in my life. Uh, and so that's, I think that that was the key for me that unlocked all these doors. I have a, my my story was very similar. How I got, I had went through a breakup, and I read a book called "How to See Yourself as You Really Are" by the Dalai Lama, and it, and it really clicked with me, big time. And, it's, and I got really curious about the meditation, and I looked around and I found a, a Buddhist nun who taught meditation right down the street from me. I started going. Um, I would say the only difference was, like, 
when I would sit down to meditate, um, like 20 minutes to me seemed like nothing. <laughs> like I, I, I found like so much peace just sitting and, and watch, watching whatever was happening and letting it go and watching what's happening and letting it go. I found it like so relieving that I, I could just do it like all day long. Um, and, um, and it was just huge. It was huge. Cause that was when I learned too, that, uh, that my thoughts are not real. That, that, that I am watching this projection and I'm reacting to it. And I don't have to react to it. I can just observe it sometimes and just let it go. Yeah. At least the parts I don't like. It's like editing yeah. a movie. I can let go of those parts I don't like. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was the thing. Uh, another thing that it helped me with is uh, moving from reaction to being more responsive. Uh, you know, I'd always, I'd have this anger, I'd have this thing about me, and I'd always, anything would uh, come up and I'd just react uh, without even thinking sometimes. Uh, and uh, meditation helped me slow that down and actually put a pause in between things where now I can walk away when I need to, to take a break and then come back to it at a certain point, you know, a certain time later, uh, especially in arguments with your wife. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, so important to have that aspect, to just walk away and not let it escalate. Very important. Um... Did you find, like, my experience with meditation, too, one of the most misunderstood things is that um, that you're supposed to be able to sit down and stop your thoughts. <laughs> but, but the, you know, the real point is to sit down and sort of look at your thoughts without any type of judgment and let them go. Um, right. So, so did you fi- do you find that true with a lot of people that you talk to, that they're like, you talk about meditation, you're like, well, I, I can't completely clear my mind. Yeah, you know, I, that's how I started too. Uh, I was a self-starter, so I didn't really go for classes or anything. I just wanted to try it myself. So I Googled it. There's a lot of crap out there. So I let, read all this crap, and then there was some good stuff, but I wasn't sure what's what. But I just started anyways. And the way initially I was really literally trying to do that, just stop my thoughts. Uh, then finally I realized uh, that, no, it's actually, you just have to observe them. Just watch them without getting involved, getting entangled with those thoughts. And certain things you can just let go, like you said. You know, it's, uh, if it's not helping you in any way, just let it go. If it's going to poison you in some way or bring you down in another way, then just let it go. You don't need it. And it took me a while to get to that. Uh, and then now people that I speak to now as well, uh, some of them are, uh, you know, if they haven't been to a class, the very beginning stages, then that's their kind of thinking about it. Uh, but people who have been to classes, I think they're uh, you know, on the right track. Hmm. When, you, when we let go of those thoughts, do you think we should be replacing those with something positive? That's up to you. You could just not do anything with them it's either. True. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, uh, you know, say for example, you're like, you know, working towards something, and you have a thought of lack or a thought of uh, you know, not enoughness. In that case, yeah, because you're working towards something, you're, you know, you want to uh, uh, achieve something. Then, in that case, I would say, yeah, you could replace it with something positive that will help you get there quicker. Um, but you could choose to not do anything with it either. Just mm. let it go. How about mantras? I do use mantras in my life. Yes. Uh, I, uh, I've actually now I'm starting to make a habit where every time I'm angry or upset about something, I'll start chanting the Gayatri Mantra uh, and just keep that going in my mind, just chanting or sometimes even out loud. Um, and what I've noticed is it helps me calm down. It, uh, you know, the, the mantras have a particular power with each word that you chant. Uh, and so sometimes I'll chant Om. Uh, I have a two-month-old, uh, so when I'm holding the two-month-old and he's crying, I'll hold him close to me and I'll chant Om. Let it vibrate inside of me and let him feel it through my, you know, my chest and my body. And after a little bit, he'll start calming down. So I've noticed the effect of that on him. What do you think it is with Om? 
Do you, do you, well, you know, one of the things I, I think about when with, with the word, I even have like a an ohm tattoo on my arm. Um, you know, to me, is a reminder that everything is vibration. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. You know, I've, I know it holds certain kind of power every time I'm chanting it. Uh, so, you know, when there's, when I chant it, I, I do these in the morning. Um, and what I do is I enunciate each of the letters, you know, it's like, ah, ooh, and mm. So the OM is made of three kind of sounds the ah, the ooh, and the mm. So when I'm chanting oh, I enunciate and I stretch each, uh, each letter. And while I'm doing that, I feel it vibrate in different parts of my body. Mm-hmm. And the ah is supposed to vibrate in the bottom part of your body, the ooh in the middle, your stomach and your heart region, and the mm in the, in the higher parts of your body, and your uh, you know, third eye and up above. Uh, and so I feel like it's starting to release certain things inside of me as well, energies, especially in the morning. If something is uh, coming up, then chanting Om helps me release those energies as well. So it's that the vibration inside of you, you know, as you're chanting it, it's your body is also vibrating. Uh, you know, subtly it's vibrating at that frequency. And uh, that is, in essence, like, you know, unleashing or relieving all of these different uh, energies that are part of you, that you have captured. And do do you think that you know that those energies if we hold on to like negative energies that eventually they can manifest as like physical illnesses? Yes, yes, I think yes. It's there's a, definitely a connection between that, especially something that we've been holding on to for such a long time, uh, 10, 12, 15, 30 years of not being able to forgive someone. We'll catch up and manifest as a physical illness or it could be putting on weight or it could be an unhealthy diet or it could be or all of them and some sort of disease like diabetes and something else mm-hmm. um, so yeah i feel like there's definitely a connection between uh, holding on to these negative energies and especially for an extended periods of time you know it, it changes phases it goes into uh one thing like it goes into depression and then goes in, you know, deeper and deeper and deeper, and finally it'll manifest into your physical body as well as some sort of ailment. And do you think, um, when, like, like, say we have those ailments, we can use the release of that energy to cure those ailments? Yeah, yeah, there is a, you know, finding something that works for you. For me, it was meditation, but it may, that may not work for everyone, so they could seek out Reiki, they could seek out chakra healing, whatever kind of thing that works for you, that floats your boat. And at different phases in your life, you know, you may go through something that you, okay, you've moved on from this one, you could try something else. I'm a big proponent of trying everything out and, you know, having like a, once you find something that's good for you, okay, work on that and just, you know, use that as the channel to heal yourself. Um, But there's, there's so many options out there. And once you heal yourself, you know, energetically, then your physical and emotional and mental will start automatically uh, changing. I agree with you 100%. You know, that, that all these different modalities are tools. And you don't have to stick with just one of them. One might work at a certain time in your life for a certain problem. Another one might work for something else. You know, and, uh, you know, that, that kind of flexibility is 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 fantastic because sometimes i think people get stuck too on being told that one, only one modality and you have to practice it this one strict method and if it doesn't working doesn't work then there's something wrong with you because you're doing it wrong yeah you're doing it wrong and uh <laughs> i feel like it just doesn't it's not suitable for you so find something else that that works for you that you know, you enjoy. Yeah. And same thing with meditation. There's so many different kinds of meditations that, you know, you don't have to select, sit down and chant home. You could be doing something else. You could go out for a walk and that could be your meditation uh, or so playing some kind of musical instrument and you're completely lost in it and that's your meditation. Um, and so, yeah, there's so many different 
types of meditation as, as well. So keep trying multiple different things. If one thing doesn't work for you, don't give up. Try something else. There's always there something for you. Yeah. So so what um, what other modalities have you tried? Is it, did you just try them with meditation and that was her regular work for you? And you didn't have to go and try other things? Or has there been, or was there a, a process of trying different things until you found meditation? Uh, I started with meditation and then I tried out different kinds of meditations myself. Uh, and one of the ones that helped me was this chakra meditation. Yeah, so me too, actually. Um, and so I, I did that for a while. Uh, and in the meantime, I did, I tried a little bit of Reiki. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wouldn't say that it didn't work for me. I didn't go in that deep. Uh, I just dipped my toes in it. I'm like, okay, let me do, try something else. But then at that point, while I was trying something else, the chakra meditation came to me and, um, and I kind of stuck with that and just kept doing that for a while. How was your chakra experience, meditation experience? So I started out just doing simple mindfulness with Buddhism type of meditation. Um, but with the, the chakra meditation, I find, um, I don't know, it's, it's, there's a lot of energy behind it, you know. Um, you know it, I find it to be very powerful. It's, it's almost, in some ways, for me, like a little bit of a shortcut. Um, because, you know, when I run through my chakras from, you know, my lower chakra up to my third eye and then just kind of just go out there to wherever in the cosmos, um, it's an adventure. It's, it's really an adventure and it, and it gets quicker results, I think, than just sitting and waiting for me. You know, with regular mindfulness, I'm sort of just sitting and waiting. But I'm also also kind of think that if I didn't have that foundation of the simple mindfulness first, then maybe the chakra meditation wouldn't have work wouldn't work as well as it does for me. Mm. So you had to go through that mindfulness to get to the chakra meditation. I don't know. You know, I I mean, for me, maybe. Um, I, I tend to start with you know a little bit of mindfulness meditation. Do the chakra meditation, then go back to some mindfulness to see, you know, how my thoughts and awareness has changed after doing that. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like uh, just watching where you're at before and after. Yeah. And noticing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always somewhere different after, always. Yeah. How long is your practice usually? 20 minutes. Yeah, that's a good amount. Yeah, usually, usually in the morning. I like to do it in the morning before um, I start thinking too much. Mm -hmm. And also, I think like in the morning when you're not completely awake, that's when you, my intuition is the best. Yeah. You know? Like, I had all my best ideas, like even my idea for the podcast all came from like, well, I was like, you know, is in the morning when I'm still waking up and standing in the shower. That's when you're essentially a blank slate and all these different great ideas come to you. Yeah, yeah I do this exercise once in a while, especially at nighttime. Mm -hmm. where, you know, anytime I'm brainstorming or you want to be in that creative space, I'll uh, do a quick meditation, close my eyes and kind of, you know, imagine I'm in outer space and let everything drop, all of my you know, energy, then everything just fall away. So I'll be completely like empty blank space. And then I'll hold a little cup. Okay, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm brainstorming about. So that cup is all, I'm just going to hold an empty cup and let all the different ideas just fill the cup up. And then I'll write it down and I'll have all these different great ideas. So that's how I kind of go through my brainstorming sessions. Hmm. Yeah, I, me, I don't have any type of specific techniques. It's just, I just know in the morning, that's when... It comes to me. I'm better at playing music in the morning. I'm better at writing in the morning. I'm better at doing podcast interviews in the morning. You know, like this one's my third one today. So this one's like will probably be my my least coherent interview for today. <laughs> you sound great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's probably because I just done like five hundred of them. <laughs> a lot of practice. Yeah, a lot of practice, and, and that's a 
something else about meditation is it is a practice, you know. And that's another thing, too, that, that people get stuck on, I think, is looking for enlightenment. Um, what is your take on enlightenment? I think that that comes with uh, practice. It comes with time. It's not something that you can get right away um, because you're continuously unraveling aspects of yourself. You know, it's like peeling off those different layers. And uh, uh, so I think that's, uh, yeah, that's something that you'll, you could strive towards, but it's not that you'll achieve it right away. Uh, and, you know, you just find that thing that will get you there, though. Find that tool, that avenue that will get you there mm. and stick to it. Do you think a person will just have glimpses of enlightenment or experiences of enlightenment? Or do you believe that once a person reaches enlightenment, that's it? They're just a shining star for everybody else? I think during the process of getting there, they do have glimpses of it. Uh, you know, they'll get into certain situations where they're, they feel it and then they'll come back to life and then, you know, it's back to normal. But then mm -hmm. they'll again, have those experiences over time and they'll realize, okay, this is what I'm kind of, you know, working towards. And then one day they'll, you know, feel like that for most of the time, you know, more and more of the time. And then finally it'll, I guess they'll get there. Mm. I don't know. What's your take on it? I don't know. I've never like sat down to. I, well, since I've never, I mean, I think I've had, I've had moments of peace. I wouldn't call them, even call it enlightenment. I've had moments of non-judgmental, um, just reaching places of equanimity, you know, where, where there's just no judgment and there's just peace. Whether that's enlightenment or not, I don't know. Enlightenment is a very difficult word to define. Like some people will define enlightenment as an epiphany, you know, and then you have this epiphany, but then you, you're just kind of going on with your ordinary life after having that. Um, so it, it, it's, it's difficult. And then you read, if I go and I read something like um, Autobiography of a Yogi, you know, and you got guys like levitating and people, you know, living 30, 50 years without eating food, you know. And I'm like, wow, I'm really, I'm really slacking here. Yeah. <laughs> Creating that's, uh, there was one yogi who could create uh, the sense of smell, like out of nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's just fascinating. I mean, and I think it was all through meditation that they got there. Yeah, I do too. I, I mean, I don't doubt that book at all. I, I believe that that what he's talking about in that book it is absolutely real because I believe that everything is being made of our consciousness. We are co-creating with some type of energy. What that energy is, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's we're co-creating that. Uh... Yeah, our life is our creation, and uh, yeah, we have the power. Hmm. So tell me a little bit more about your storyboard. About the all oh, the story, about the story uh, thing. That I was looking at it on your website about creating your story, mm -hmm. and you know, you know how, you, how you create these different images of your past and things like that, and using that as a tool for self improvement. Yeah, so essentially what you're doing is you're creating your, like a snapshot, a life, your film of your life, right? Mm -hmm. And as you're creating this, you know, we may not have introspected or, you know, dive deeper into each of these experiences. Uh, in you know, we, we may never have done that. So this is an opportunity to find how and understand how these experiences, positive ones and the negative ones, have affected you. What kind of beliefs were created in you? What kind of attitudes that were created in you? What kind of programming did it lead to? Or was that programming that led to that experience? So it's uncovering those uh, truths about yourself. And uh, as you're diving deeper, I mean, you'll even understand aspects of your trauma. You may not completely overcome trauma through mm -hmm. this. Could You certainly could, uh, but it takes a lot of extra additional work. And so, so we may need coaches for that as well. But at least you're uncovering aspects of the trauma, understanding, uh, you know, the the, the deeper meaning, of the, the the deeper roots of that trauma through this process, and you're creating this uh, film for yourself. 
So once you do the past, then we'll go to the future and really understand. Um, uh, so the other thing that we do about our past experiences is we reframe them. Experiences mm -hmm. that are not serving you anymore, that you move past the trauma from, we will reframe the, those experiences so they hold new meaning for yourself. Uh, and in this way, it's an empowering uh, meaning. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's helping you live a better life, not holding you back in some way. And so once you're reframing all of your past experiences, now you can build onto this. You can build for a better future because your limitations, your blockages uh, are, you know, I mean, they'll soon no longer be holding you back. It'll take some time to, you know, once you understand it through this process, now you have to do some work to kind of overcome those limitations uh, as you, you know, gain all this data. And once you move past it, now you're creating a future vision for yourself. You're creating a future version for yourself. Uh, maybe it's your finances that's uh, your limitation. So uh, now you're creating images and affirmations that are pushing you, putting you in that direction. Uh, something that you'll read every day um, to, uh, you know, get you that, uh, the motivation that, you know, that your statement for the day, um, your goal for, the, for your life, you know, you'll read that every day. And this will help you kind of reprogram yourself slowly but surely in the direction that you want to go in. So while you're creating your future version of yourself, you're also creating affirmations that you can, you can chant every day. Uh, and, you know, over 30 days, you'll finally get to the point of, all right, now I'm much closer to my vision, much closer to my goal than where I started. Uh, so it's a 30 day course. and I kind of broke it down in a way that there is a 15 minute video to watch and then some kind of exercise after that. Uh, some kind of homework, a little like a five to ten minute uh, introspective exercise along with. Uh, uh, so that's the at the very beginning, you'll kind of do some introspection. But then finally, week two, week three, week four, you'll start to create your film. We'll work on certain aspects of your life film and then answer certain questions and uh, dive deeper into it. So that's essentially the gist of it. Uh, it's uh, what, what I've found is it's helped me overcome my, you know, while I was working, I was kind of drifting through life. I wouldn't put my will, I wouldn't uh, kind of, you know, make my decisions for myself. Mm -hmm. it, it would come from my parents, it would come from the job, it would, whatever they would tell me, I'll just do it without actually putting in my thought and uh, my inputs into it. Uh, so it's kind of like just drifting through life. Uh, being very passive about it. It's kind of like standing on the sidelines watching the game as opposed to playing in the game. Uh, and so going through this uh, film, I was able to understand that for myself, able to understand that about myself and start moving in the direction of becoming a leader, start moving in the direction of becoming active and actually you know, putting in my will, like, this is what I want. Um, this is the story that I want to live uh, as opposed to just letting the river flow and you know, whatever direction without knowing where my final goal destination was. I like that because, you know, one of the things that I always take issue with when I have people on that will talk about manifesting, you know, things, sort of things like things from the, the, the book, The Secret or whatever. Um, there's, is, is that, is it, it's an incomplete method. Because you're not addressing the past and the present. And it sounds like you've really hit on a key aspect, which is how we frame those experiences. You know, that, that's really the key. Because we can frame them either from a negative view, a neutral view, or a positive one. You know, and, and, and sometimes like we have to actually look at it through all three of those lenses to really understand it. And then look at our current situation through all three of those lenses in order to create that next part that we really want. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it, you know, with the manifestation is usually doesn't take into account your current state or everything that you've you know, brought into this moment from your past. Mm -hmm. It's only talking about the future. So you're not really overcoming your limitations. And I was stuck in that, kind of rut as well for a long time thinking about you know the secret and 
oh, I have to manifest without really overcoming my blockages, my limitations. And I, uh, up until a couple of years ago, I was very shy in, in essence. Like I wouldn't, uh, you know, this interview would be very difficult for me um, to really share and speak openly uh, and share my thoughts and express myself. Uh, so in the last about year or so, I've made it a, uh, a habit to put myself out there on different podcasts to be interviewed um, to really you know express myself share my story that's why I put some affirmations around me there's the couple in front of me that I see every day one that says express yourself one that says be you so that's kind of giving me these reminders the one that says yes you can so it's always you know having these reminders around me that you know I I am here to share my gift I'm here to express myself all right now it's time so finally move, overcoming and moving past that. You know, I'd remember uh, while I was doing my PhD, uh, I'd go into these national conferences to give presentations. And, you know, there would be 50, 100, 200 people in the crowd. And I'd, I'd freeze. I wouldn't be able to share ideas and thoughts because at that point, there was so much fear inside of me. My conscious mind had literally gone for a hike. Mm -hmm. Like It wasn't there. And all of these feelings from the subconscious would just overcome me. And so I was, I, I would, initially I'd get fearful that, okay, I need to, uh, you know, just so I don't freeze and not be able to think for myself and, you know, just be like frozen for five minutes. To avoid that situation, I would script out essentially the whole presentation. Write word for word, memorize that script. So when I get there, I just have to uh, regurgitate not really think about what I'm saying uh, because everything is thought about before. And in that sense, I, you know, I was very uncomfortable. And then when it came to the Q and a, I wasn't able to respond to them because, you know, every question, I wouldn't know the answer for it. So my generic answer was, uh, you know, that's a great question. Let me get back to you. Can I have your email address? That was my generic response to questions that I, I couldn't come up with an answer. And, you know, this because I was so like a, that deer caught up in headlights, mm -hmm. that situation, right? Uh, so now in this last year, those 18 months, I've been able to really express myself. And this is one of the ways that this course has also helped me. Hmm. Um, you know, after interviewing like a lot of people, I do have noticed that some of my guests will come on with the, the pre-planned presentation, you know? They come on, I'll ask them one question, and they'll talk for 45 minutes, you know. Whether it has anything to do with the question or not, they'll, they'll give their, their thing. And then when they're done and I start answering questions, asking other you know, questions about what they said, they won't be able to necessarily answer them, so they'll start, you know, giving out these vague answers, you know. Um, and learning how to talk to people on the fly like we're doing it's its own art form, really. It, it, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of work, focus, and it also it also takes a certain amount of um, humility too. I think because I'm sure I mess up on every single interview I do, and that's okay. It doesn't mean I'm a good interviewer or a bad interviewer. It just means we're human. <laughs> yeah, I would completely agree. Completely agree. And I was caught up in that, you know, that when I was in that phase of being way too self-conscious, I was always like shaming myself for certain things that I would do quote unquote wrong, shaming myself for doing it incorrectly, always putting myself down. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. I was in that phase as well and not completely past that. How do you get people past that? <laughs> Meditation. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of observing those thoughts, you know, that's, that's how I was able to really uh, see for myself how I really am, but really, you know, be able to understand that I am being like this in these situations. Uh, so through meditation, I was able to, uh, so I'll give you a, a, a kind of a secret that I did. Uh, so while I was doing these podcast interviews, you know, the first 5, 10, 15, 20, I... I would get into those situations where I'd have to like script some of some parts of it. So this is me interviewing folks and me uh, and people interviewing me as well. Uh, 
but then eventually I got comfortable. And what I was doing is I was becoming super aware in the moment. So while I'm doing the interview, I become completely super aware. And while I'm aware, I pay attention to how I'm feeling through this interview. And as I'm going through it, I pay attention to it. And this is where I'm programming myself to feel good during these interviews. And so I, as I, so that kind of slowly switched it from this negative association with you know, sharing my thoughts and sharing my, expressing myself to a positive uh, association. So it took about 10, 15 interviews to make that switch. But now I was finally able to make that switch in the moment. And that's what meditation did for me is for me to be super aware in the moment of what's going on, how I'm feeling. And I'm talking about those moments where you're, you know, when you normally get nervous, like it's the complete extreme Mm -hmm. from this high energy where you're kind of uh, unconscious to being completely conscious. And so it took like, it took years of meditation to get to this point though, right? Meditation is like, you're going to the gym and you're building your muscle, you're lifting weights. Meditation is that for the mind, for the, you know? Um, and yeah, it's, I would say it's meditation that, that would do it for people. Yeah, it does take a self-awareness. One of the things that has helped, also helped me with the, doing the podcast and public speaking and, and not having a pre, anything prepared ahead of time is when I listen to other people's podcasts or watch other people's videos or whatever, um, when I see the guy who's who's doing it perfectly, it, it it's like okay he did this perfectly. But when I see a guy who's made a mistake or is just being themselves, that's the person I can relate to more. Mm. So I just so now I just assume that people will relate to me better because I'm imperfect. It that's, makes me. I hope. I hope that it makes me more relatable, and not like some idealistic thing goal to reach. Yeah. No, I can completely see that. I've uh, uh, I've gotten that too many times. You know, before when I was appearing perfect, uh, you know, practicing everything, planning everything, uh, and it seemed like people wouldn't relate to me because of that very thing. Like it was. It just came off to be way too perfect. That. Uh, like you said, imperfection is more relatable than uh, perfection. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to laugh at myself. Yeah, yeah. Being able to, that's the humility you were talking about. Hu- like, hu- humor. Humor is important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, while I was going through my, uh, the hard breakup, through the, uh, you know, the first uh, few months, I was also working on my dissertation and then uh, finally uh, defending it, presenting it. So through that time, it was comedy that pulled me through. John Stewart was still on the Daily Show at that time, and you know I would watch his twenty-minute bit on Hulu, and that's what kind of got me through my day. Like I'd start out with that before I got to my work or creating anything. I would watch something funny, and it was his twenty-minute bit. Huh. <laughs> John Stewart was a bartender at a club I used to go to. Oh wow! When he was in college. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, here there he was, my bartender. <laughs> At a I punk rock club. Yeah, he is he's hysterical. He's very smart. Very smart. Yeah. 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 Plus yeah, he he's, uh, I, f- I find his comedy is, is what I resonate with. Like I after that, uh, you know, who's there? Trevor Noah right now, I, I don't resonate with his comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he he's good. I mean there's a lot of people out there that I I don't necessarily relate to. I mean, they're very popular people. I'm not going to say who they are, you know. Um, but again, it's. I feel like they're trying to be perfect. Right. And, and that's what kind of, it's a sticking point for me. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's hard to be perfect in comedy because then it's not comedy anymore. No, it's... You know, because... Then you don't get that banner with people. Like you don't get to make those uh, off-the-cuff jokes. Mm-hmm. Something that you, the audience that happen, you can make a joke off of it. You won't. You'll miss all of that because you're just fo- so focused on hitting your points, hitting your you know practiced uh, stage to perfection. 
What do you think is the most useful tool to help people navigate life? The most useful tool would have been a guidebook, like an instructions manual for how to live the human life. <laughs> but since that doesn't exist, uh, I, I think finding a way to be aware finding a way to, I think that's where, that's the essence of our lives, right? It's, that's the story that we're creating, the thoughts that are coming in our minds and how we are, uh, are we connecting with it? Are we holding on to those thoughts or are we just letting it go and watching it, you know? So I think that's the, that's where I would say it's like finding that tool, finding that thing. For me, it was meditation, but for other people, it may be journaling, mm -hmm. it could be other things, but whatever that way is for you, it's finding a way to be aware. Even doing this makes me aware all the time. Talking to different people, hearing different points of view, oh, exploring yeah. new and different ideas. You know, a uh, couple, so I think last interview that I did, or the couple, last few interviews that I did, one of the guys, he was the, the podcast host, he was asking me questions. And as I was sharing my story, he was giving me different perspectives, you know, like his own coaching through. Uh, and sharing his own coaching experience through, uh, with my stories. And so I was learning more about my stories through his experience, uh, which was great. I loved it. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, I thanked him for it. So it's, yeah, I love, I, I completely agree getting those new perspectives about uh, life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting to hear other people's points of view on myself because they're so different than how I perceive myself. Yeah. <laughs> Have you done this exercise where you ask people to share like three words that they associate you with? No. That's a cool exercise. Try it out. This, hmm. you know, your closest people, just send them a message. Hey, I'm trying to, you know, learn more about myself. Could you just share three words that you would, you know, when, when you think of me, what are the first three words that come to your mind? You learn so much. I know what they're all going to say. The first one's going to be good looking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to thank you for taking the time to be on today. It was a pleasure having you and thank sharing you. your insight. But before we wrap it up, I want to uh, give you a chance to let my listeners know where they can find you and what they can services you're offering and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Plug yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you can find me on the, my website, drvarungandhi.com or Instagram with the same name, drvarungandhi. Some of the services that I offer, uh, you know, we have products related to physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. We have some meditations that we offer as well. Uh, along with that, uh, I do have some tech services. So if you're already in the space of healing, and you're looking for someone to help you with your technology, reach out to me. I could, uh, you know, we'll work and we'll make things happen for you. You'll save a lot of time. Uh, along with that, I've also been working on this uh, project for the last couple of years. And uh, this is a, it's, been, it's a food drive. So kind of a little history behind it. Uh, during the pandemic, when it first started March, 2020, uh, you know, we realized that there were people in our communities that were businesses were shutting down. So people in our communities didn't have jobs. They didn't have food to put on people's, uh, you know, on, on their tables. Uh, so we started out uh, giving grocery supplies, you know, uh, rice and beans and things like that for people to cook at their homes. And then we realized that uh, additionally, people didn't have homes, so they needed hot meals. And so eventually we got to a point where we were putting together about 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 hot meals every Sunday. Uh, this is for the last two years. We started May 2020 and we've continued all the way through. And thus far we've done about more than 200,000 meals. Wow. And we're going to continue all the way through 2022, 2023. And uh, who knows what's going to happen after that. Uh, but yeah, this is a uh, amazing project that we've been working on. It's a group of... I'd say about 100 volunteers or so. And uh, not everyone shows up every weekend, but every every given Sunday we have about 30 to 40 volunteers come in. Wow, that's fantastic. 
And it's essentially, it's a food kitchen that uh, what we do is we're partnered up with different organizations and they come in, pick up the meals from us and they go out into the streets and they deliver it onto the streets. Uh, these organizations, they already existed. And what I found is that they were going, they were doing both. They were preparing the meals first and then their team was going out and distributing onto the streets. Mm-hmm. And we spoke to a few of them and, they, and we told them like, hey, we have this. They were super excited knowing that they didn't have to cook anymore. They could just focus on the delivery portion because they were already so good at it. Uh, so we're collecting funds for that. And uh, there's a GoFundMe link uh, that I'll uh, send you the link, Gary. You can put okay. it in the show notes. That would be great. Uh, you know, each meal costs us $1.50. And uh, so every, we're doing about 2,000 meals every Sunday, 52 Sundays. So that comes out to about 150,000. Uh, we have a and one organization that's donating 100 or 1,000 meals every Sunday. So we just have to account for the other the remaining 1,000. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're raising for, basically 50% of our funds. So we've, uh, we have to raise about 75,000. We've so far raised about 45, we're 30 short. And that's what we're raising for right now. Um, yeah, so I would appreciate, uh, you know, anybody who's also, if people are in the LA area, they would love, they would want to come down and check out our facility, maybe volunteer with us. We would love to have you as well. In whichever way you want to contribute, please reach out to me. We'd love to have you get involved. That's awesome. My my day job is I work in a group home with disabled adults, and some of them are you know have autism. And the ones that have autism, we take them out to deliver meals. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, we do actually have uh, one of our teams that delivers some of our supplies throughout the week. There are uh, some autistic folks in there that help us out there too. So yeah, we've kind of involved them as well. That's amazing. Yeah, because because then that way. It helps two ways. Yeah. Helping people helps them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's nice. Definitely. Yeah, awesome. it's a great giving back. Well, this was a fantastic interview. Thank you for being on. And I will put a link to your website in those of this episode so my listeners can find you and check out your services. And uh, it was great talking with you. And just hang on for a moment, and I'm going to play the outro. Thank you.